Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey folks, welcome back to the show. Today's episode is a doozy. It's on a topic that affects most or many of us. Uh, we're going to be talking about sleep and uh, how to make it better. So before we do that, of course, want to take a moment to thank you, every one of you, for being here, for listening to the show, and for sending me all your comments and questions. I love the interactions. If you are feeling inspired to do so, please leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. That is what allows us to rise up the ranks and to bring you more amazing guests every single week. Um, and of course, if you're looking to connect directly with me, uh, make sure to go to natnidham.com click on the BSP community link at the top of the page and you can check out my private membership group on Mighty Networks. That's a great opportunity for us to chat in person in live Q&As on a regular basis. All right, let's talk a little bit. Seeing as we're going to be talking about sleep today, I also wanted to talk to you about sleep, right? So listen, we know that there is this one phase of sleep that nearly everyone fails to get enough of, even those of us who sleep reasonably well. And this one phase of sleep is responsible for most of your body's daily rejuvenation repair. It's responsible for helping to control your hunger and weight loss hormones, helps to boost energy and so much more. And of course, I'm talking about deep sleep. Let me tell you, not getting enough of this crucial phase of sleep can wreak havoc on your life. It's like a never-ending battle with what we just talked about, the cravings, the sluggish metabolism, even premature aging. And those of us in the longevity and health span space, we want to look good today, right? We don't just want to play it out to the future. So why are most people missing out on this crucial phase? Well, one major factor is a magnesium deficiency. Can you believe that over 80% of the population is deficient in magnesium? And here's the thing, magnesium is a total game changer when it comes to sleep. It boosts GABA, which promotes relaxation on a cellular level, and that's a huge deal for good night's rest. So before you rush off to buy any old magnesium supplement, you need to know that most of the products out there only have one or two forms of magnesium. But it turns out that your body needs all seven forms of this essential sleep mineral. And this is why I recommend and personally use Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium Breakthrough contains all seven forms of magnesium designed to help calm your mind and help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. The deep sleep benefits truly are noticeable. So to get yours, go to magbreakthrough.com forward slash bionat and order now. Now, in addition to this discount you get by using promo code BIONAT10, there are always amazing gifts with purchase. And that's why I love shopping at Bioptimizers. They've always got a little extra something for you. So don't hesitate. Go to magbreakthrough.com forward slash BIONAT and make sure to use code BIONAT10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out what this month's gift with purchase is all about. All right, let's talk about the episode. Tell me. Have you ever grappled with sleeplessness or tossed and turned all night, cursing your bad sleeper status? You, your partner, look, you're not alone. In this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast, our guest, my guest, our guest, Molly Eastman, who I absolutely adore. She's not only incredibly smart and knowledgeable, but she's also incredibly funny. Um, the two of us get to talking and, you know, it takes us a while to even get to the episode. Anyway. 
shares her techniques of adopting a growth mindset towards sleep and talks about the various factors that can ultimately affect our sleep cycle. She stresses on the importance of understanding our individual relationship with sleep and how it can be worked upon just like any other skill. Our conversation further dives into the long-term impacts of poor, poor sleep, the correlation it has with various health disorders, particularly for those working late night shifts or struggling with time zone changes. This episode offers comprehensive resources to help mitigate the impacts. We discuss the use of various sleep tracking tools, the relevance of meal timings, blue light exposure. We also touch upon the negotiation tactics that can be used with employers to minimize the negative impacts of shift work. Shift work. Finally, we explore sleep apnea, its symptoms, treatments, and the significance of seeking professional help. And we cannot stress this enough, folks. Sleep apnea is a tough one to solve on your own. So Molly Eastman is the creator of Sleep as a Skill, an incredible program, and the host of the Sleep as a Skill podcast. You've got to listen to this show. Sleep as a Skill is a company that optimizes people's sleep through a unique blend of technology, accountability, and behavioral change. She's created the number two sleep podcast, written a popular weekly sleep newsletter for over five years. She's partnered with luxury hotels, lifestyle brands, coached the world's top poker players. She's got a lot to say about that. And she's appeared on over 150 podcasts. To learn more about Molly, her podcast, and her programs, you can go to her website, which is Molly, uh, sorry, sleepisaskill.com. Check out the podcast, Sleep is a Skill, and or check out her Instagram account where she shares amazing information, which is at Molly Eastman. All the proper spellings will be in the caption below. All right. One last thing before we jump into this episode. And as you guys know, I've recently become really interested and fascinated with quantum energy fields. So did you know that your quantum energy field is constantly disrupted by toxicity and stress? And so here's the thing. We need we don't want to stress about toxicity and stress, but they are here where we live in a world that is filled with toxins. And let's face it, the world today is pretty darn stressful and we can't always control that. So this is why I use Lila Quantum Tech products. Stress is a known element in early aging and so many people still struggle to manage it. And, you know, we can do the mindfulness, the breathing, all the things, but here's the thing. By leveraging Lila Quantum products, you can help yourself master stress, feel more at ease, and mitigate its effects on your body, which ultimately will contribute to a longer and healthier life. Lila Q products have been studied with dark field microscopy, and these are the studies that really caught my attention. These studies demonstrate significant protective and improvement effects of the Lila Quantum block technology on people's blood following just a 10-minute exposure to that block. It's pretty amazing. you got to check out the website to see these studies. With over 15 studies already done and counting, Lila Q's latest third-party study revealed a remarkable 20 to 29% increase in ATP production, a vital process for cells. By harnessing quantum energy, you can give your body a boost and slow down that aging process. Upgrade your life with Leela Quantum's pure quantum energy by visiting leelaq.com. That's L-E-E-L-A-Q.com. And make sure to use code NAT10 so that you can get 10% off your first Leela Quantum Tech order. And now let's jump into that episode and dive into sleep. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. 
Folks, welcome back to the show. And I am so happy to finally be welcoming Molly Eastman to this show to talk to us about sleep and circadian Ah. entrainment. Molly, welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, Nat, thank you so much for having me. I know that between the two of us, we could have so many episodes on all <laughs> things. We can talk for, for days and days and have. Uh, so I'm excited. We actually talked through the last podcast recording we were supposed to record together. Exactly. So this is going to be a breeze. And yet the early challenge is how to fit all of our thoughts into our short period of time. So we're going to make it happen. <laughs> well, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on your thoughts because everybody gets to hear my thoughts all the time. Aww. So let's put the emphasis on your thoughts. And then we we have, a, we have a podcast scheduled together when I'm going exactly. to go on yours and then I can share my thoughts and then people can mash them together and get the whole perfect. Thing. All right. That's our plan. <laughs> so you've been on my radar forever since before we became friends and oh. um, sleep is a skill. It's the most brilliant line I've ever heard. Right. Because I mean, as the mom of now a 23 year old, we, we talk a lot when we have babies about babies are born knowing Mostly, for the most part, knowing how to sleep. Having said that, a lot of babies have disrupted sleep for a lot of reasons we may or may not want to talk about today. And I think some of them are actually maybe similar to why adults have trouble with sleeping, like exposure to light, the whole nine yards. But very often we are put in a position as parents, we have to help our children to relearn how to sleep or put themselves to sleep or soothe them. We talk about, you know, soothing themselves to sleep or putting them back to sleep. But as adults, we completely forget that, you know, we we lose that skill because of, and maybe you want to talk about what are the reasons that come into play? Why do people need to now as adults approach sleep as a skill, which should be innate? Oh, so well said. Well, thank you uh, for the kind words about the company name. And I think that is a fantastic place to begin mm-hmm. because this concept of sleep as a skill was very mindfully named. The reason I chose that name is because I spent so much of my life and I do now think of my life in a three-part series related <laughs> to sleep, I swear to God. So what that looks like is how my my life was really set up for so much of my formative years in this world of I'm a bad sleeper. It's just mm-hmm. how it is. You know, I came out of the womb in my thinking. That's That was my thinking, of course, as you just shared. Not true. And yet I navigated the world in this identity of I'm a bad sleeper. I'm a short sleeper. I'm a night owl. It's in my genes. Narratives like I'll sleep when I'm dead, you know, mind over matter, all those things. All the stories. Um, Yeah. All the stories. And so uh, reverberating or uh, my experience of life was one of just survive that lot in life, that hand I was dealt around my sleep. And so it wasn't until I went through a period of insomnia that absolutely changed my life. It was really my rock bottom in my life. And of course, often insomnia doesn't come out of a vacuum. Often it comes from other things that are not working in our life. And that was certainly my experience as a serial entrepreneur in Manhattan, burning the candle of both ends, eventually these stressors, and I didn't correlate all the signs leading up to it, of course. So I uh, was getting more and more anxious. I got the beginnings of an ulcer. I had a shingles mm. in my twenties, you know, a lot of signs that how I was, uh, you know, navigating my health and well-being was not working. And yet I certainly wasn't factoring in my sleep habits and what um, subsequent habits that I didn't even realize were a part of this sleep conversation. Didn't think about those as being 
part of this uh, puzzle. And it, so when I went through that period of insomnia that absolutely changed my life, I went to the doctors, left with sleeping pills. And in that moment was uh, this really disempowered state of uh, that question of, all right, so now I want to sleep. Can't I have this experience that I can't sleep, this belief that I can't sleep. So now I'm going to take these pills and, but be, you know, really, um, having an inner dialogue that I shouldn't be taking these pills, fears mm. of the future. Am I going to need to start going up on the dosage? What is this going to mean for me coming from a family of a lot of individuals that did go through down the pharmaceutical path and found themselves um, kind of beholden or reliant on pills like this, especially for sleep. So I saw some of what that looked like and it really terrified me um, as well as the fact that it had a fears for me on around my mental health, because I, uh, during that period, I really felt like I was losing my mind. Sure. I was so, so panicked. The sun would be setting. My heart would start racing mm. with the thoughts of another night of how can I, you know, I'm, how am I going to be capable of fulfilling on anything uh, if I have yet another night stacked up, stacked up. So this lit the fire under me. Um, and that actually had me go down the rabbit hole. I spent thousands and thousands of dollars, lots of time, energy, and effort to restore my sleep and not only restore it because I shared it wasn't that great beforehand, but so not even just get it to that, you know, kind of um, baseline, but actually get to experience quantifiably great sleep, which I had not thought was possible for myself living in those labels and narratives previously. So what shifted over was this more kind of growth mindset approach to sleep and the realization that it is a skill like anything. Uh, so for the listeners, my main takeaway here is that wherever you might be at with your journey in relationship to your sleep, whether you haven't thought about it too much, whether you're really struggling or somewhere in between, that there are always things that we can do to up-level your performance around your sleep. And I would argue that there's a benefit to beginning with your sleep on any journey of wellness. Since we know it's so foundational, we're getting more and more studies um, mm. ongoingly, and yet it's still a relatively new field, if you will. And it was only in 2017 when the Nobel Prize was given around part of our understanding the complexities of our circadian rhythm, these clocks in every cell and organ in our body. So we're really starting to get more and more information about how crucial this is and the trainability of this area. Yeah. Wow. That's such a good setup. There's so many different things I want to talk to you about in there. <laughs> but, it's a big topic. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge topic. And so... Although I think a lot of the people listening to this probably have heard and know, and I don't want to scare people to death. And at the same yeah. time, let's let's just briefly maybe touch on all the different systems in the body that are negatively affected by poor sleep. Because, you know, the, the narrative of I'll sleep when I'm dead is still yeah. very much alive. Right. Absolutely. And I think what may escape people at times is that you're going to die. You'll, you're then going to get to sleep a lot sooner if you don't sleep. Like sleep deprivation is a form of it's an actual if, if you were to look up ways to torture people. Yes. Sleep deprivation would be right up there. And I know that there was a study done with I want to say and this is very sad. If you're an animal, I block your ears right now. But yeah. there was a study done with puppies where they deprived, they prevented them from sleeping. And within a very short time, they were all dead. Like none of them survived or they couldn't survive it. Right. So understanding and appreciating the importance of sleep, but maybe talking a little bit about if you want to speak to 
some of the different systems in your body. And you've kind of touched on them when you were talking about your own story, right? The immune system, the the brain, our ability to regulate our nervous system, like all of the different digestion, right? I don't know how you did with your food at that time, but we know that having a really bad night's sleep can borderline make you, you know, pre-diabetic and have yes. you diving for the carbs. So maybe talking a little bit, what are all the different systems that are affected that by sleep? Because ultimately that's going to lead us down the path of how do we help tapping into those systems to retrain those clocks and help us to get to sleep a little better? Yeah, so well said. Really getting grounded in the why does this matter? Why is this important to take on? Um, because in the realm of wellness, and certainly you are the just a rock star in sharing so many things that we can do to improve our health and well-being uh, and to have the gumption to shift a lot of these things. So the truth is to build that skill set around sleep, there are a number of behavioral change uh, interventions. And of course, there's other supplements and uh, things that we can bring in. Uh, but so much of this is on the ground with how we're conducting ourselves in our lives. So to get rooted in like, why bother? Why is this <laughs> the area? It's so important. So for the why, uh, one, we can begin with of these life domains that are impacted. We struggle to find a single area of life that is not negatively impacted when our sleep is not functioning as well as we uh, as it could. So what does that look like? And I've actually to many different groups and workshops I've conducted. I still ask, is there a single person that can tell me a single area of life that isn't impacted? Uh, and I haven't been able to come across anyone yet. And I haven't seemed to find, find any studies that will um, prove otherwise. So what that looks like is is we find some of the top um, impacted areas, cardiovascular health, heart mm -hmm. disease, uh, diabetes, cancer, immune health, cognitive health. So looking at uh, so on the long term, historically, we used to think that there might not be certain things that we can do to stave off some of these neurological disorders, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, et cetera. Um, but now we do have some evidence that came out of um, in 2012, the realization of glymphatic drainage, the understanding of glymphatic drainage with a G versus lymphatic drainage with an L. Um, glymphatic drainage with a G is that cleansing process of the brain that seems to largely take place around deep um, during deep sleep in the first half of your night for most people. Um, and that even in and of itself for brain health cognition, both on what appears to be on the you know uh, front side of things, the short side of things. So just even with a couple nights of poor sleep impacting you know some of your error rates and certain things that will show up in different studies, uh, but then certainly long-term setting us up for what appears to be correlations between the um, the evolution of those neurological disorders. So, mm -hmm. so those are some areas that are impacted, uh, not to mention aging, reproductive health, um, our hormone health, it just the list goes on and on. And one that I'm particularly passionate about, the mental health side of things, um, we don't have a single uh, mental health disorder that isn't coupled with uh, disorders or dysfunctional sleep in some regard. So it's a big, big topic that rolls out to these impacts that we might not have expected um, in various age, uh, areas of life. And so just about any area of your life that is important to you, if even uh, for the vanity side of things, for the aging to look beautiful, for our waistlines, you know, just so many things that hit just about 
every pain point for different individuals. Um, and then even just for some other specifics, there was a very large scale um, systematic uh, uh, systemic uh, systematic review that came out in 2010 and meta analysis that found that if you were sleeping less than six hours consistently a night, that it's setting you up for things like heart disease, diabetes, uh, stroke, cognitive decline, and my favorite, death from any cause, also known as all-cause mm -hmm. mortality. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's just on the duration side of things. It's not even getting to the sleep consistency piece. We know that for shift workers, it is very, very clear uh, for many organizations um, certainly at least in the U.S., some of these U.S.-centric, uh, you know, stats or um, organizations I tend to quote, but that is very clear that shift work does seem to be now grouped into being a cancer-causing agent oh. uh, just simply by being alert and doing things at the times of night that it appears that we were not uh, kind of designed as diurnal creatures, meaning that we're meant to be active by day and at rest at night. And when we throw these things um, kind of upside down, there seems to be very real world impacts. So, okay. So let's talk a little bit about shift work. Is sure. there anything, so we know that shift work is, it is a negative. Like, look, I have a, I have an assistant who's overseas and he was working for me through his nights. And last week I said, okay, it's enough. We're now shifting you over to your day. That means that you and I are going to be awake during working hours for very few hours in common. Sure. But I feel like I am out of integrity and on yeah. a human level, it's killing me that I'm killing you. You know, yeah. you're, he's a young kid and he's like, no, 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 I'm good. I can do this. And I'm like, I know you can do this, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. Having Ugh. said that, for people who are in the medical system or emergency services, like people who have to be shift workers for whatever reason. Unfortunately, it seems like in, well, in our world, until we create AI robots that don't need to be awake during the day and can be yes. awake at night, um, there will be people doing shift work. So is there anything people can do to mitigate some of the damage? Like nothing's going to yeah. be perfect, but is there anything they can do to offset the negatives of being awake when you should be asleep and asleep when you should be being awake. Yes. Well, first off, amazing. Uh, can we all be employed by Nat? And <laughs> secondly, that is awesome. Uh, and secondly, I hear you too, because then there are so many uh, areas of life that we depend on those workers to be alert at those times that may might not be optimal for their health and well-being. So what do we do about that? Uh, so first off, a couple things and a couple of resources to provide for anyone that either is a shift worker or knows a shift worker or just wants to um, kind of have some information in this area. So one, I would say uh, there's a book that came out recently called The Sleep Fix, and it was actually written um, by an ABC correspondent who had the night shift and was mm. up against loving her job and yet uh, didn't want to necessarily just take the advice of what she was hearing that, you know, you're going to die early and there's all these, you know, fear mongering things uh, that can come out. And yet I'm not meaning to make it fear because there's the we're balancing the fact that there's real world impacts. And then how can we if our 
our passion and our life, um, you know, kind of requirements or things that are important to us do call for us to be awake at some of those certain times, what do we do about it? So uh, she went on a kind of journalistic crusade interviewing just about every, you know, sleep professional to pull out one of the few books that is uh, really geared towards shift workers in particular, because there's not a lot of books that do just that. So I would recommend that, which goes through a lot of uh, kind of philosophy and also practical takeaways. Uh, So there is that. Secondly, I would also recommend a resource that's fairly new, and it's from the creators of the Time Shifter app, which I Mm. suggest every person that's going to be traveling, um, you know, long periods of time so that they might be jumping across multiple time zones. Definitely get this app. No affiliation, but just, you know, it's something you want to have in your toolkit. And by those same creators, they've also created something um, called the shift work app. And this is newer. uh, And yet it's getting some great feedback because what it is, is you can put in your shifts and then it will help you be able to time shift like a verb so that in advance of particular shifts that might be coming up for you, that you can prepare accordingly. And it will go through maybe some out of the box ways that you can prepare and then both during too during the shift. But what I would say is if we pan out on average, if we can at by any way, shape, and form create consistency because we know sleep loves consistency. If we can create your shift like a lifestyle, that is where we see the most benefits. So meaning that if you are always, um, if it requires that you wake up at say 1am in order to fulfill on whatever shift that you have that early morning or what have you, that we always keep you waking up at 1 a.m. in that example and including seven days a week. So that just becomes your new reality. How can we create your calendar to mimic that? And then we do some things to mimic as much of nature. Um, so the sun rising at certain times, the sun you know setting at certain times that would make sense for you, mimicking that in your environment. How can we make that seven days a week? Now, the really um, huge struggle is rotating shifts. So shifts what that happens, are- right? That's what like- happens. Totally. Well, and it's almost like people think it's a concession. Look, you only have to work nights three days a week or every other day, which I think is the most toxic form. And my question to you before I let you kind of keep going there, I apologize for interrupting, but my question to you is how big a chunk is big enough? So is it better for someone to be let's say, I mean, I'm from what you're saying, I think what you're saying is optimally you're always working nights. Yeah. And and if you're not working nights on the weekends, and this is where it probably gets really ugly because you want to have your life during the day when all your friends and family are awake, that's where it it must get really difficult. But let's say you have no friends and or (laughs) or all your friends and family work nights with you. Yes. And is it would it be okay to alternate a week on, week off? Or would it be okay to alternate two weeks on, two weeks off? Or Could we say that if we were working nights for a month and then days for a month, that would be a little less awful for our health? Like, is there is there an interval that that you could identify or is it still kind of we don't really know? Yeah, great question. Uh, So I would still put it in. So even if we pan out too for people that are listening, um, that are also just navigating their very normal kind of uh, lifestyle and very 
ordinary bedtime wake times uh, that we still see a lot of variation for those people often very mm-hmm. commonly known as social jet lag. So that's yeah. kind of that self-created jet lag that we're bringing in every weekend. So say Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or what have you, suddenly we're going to bed much later. We're waking up much later. Um, so many of us can create almost this experience of travel without going anywhere at all. So hang tight if you're listening and that's you. Uh, but so for the shift worker, then the same rules apply. It's the same type of thinking that if we were to say, well, your job requires you to go to Hong Kong multiple times throughout your month, uh, we would have to start really weighing the impacts of that. Is that workable for this individual? And there are certain bio-individualities like, you know, in your example with your assistant, um, there's certain things that we might be able to get away with a little bit more, quote unquote, when we're younger, kind of uh, more abilities to, to rebound and certain considerations. But for the most part, for an extended period of time, we want to minimize um, as much of that variability as humanly possible. And what I would say too, is that this is that group in particular, I believe all of us um, have this opportunity to learn the skill set of sleep, but particularly for that group, that's really on red alert that um, there's so much that we want to be aware of and then have those tools in our tool toolkit when suddenly the shift changes, or now you have to do a longer shift that you weren't planning on, or uh, in the example from the sleep fix book, the, that um, corresponded when often be called in on kind of special assignments. We see that Mm. for, um, you know, people working in, um, uh, you know, kind of public service. So whether firefighters, et cetera, just a lot of unpredictability and you might not be able to have the luxury of pre-planning. Then in those situations, what do you do? How do you get yourself back onto a schedule? Well, this is where it becomes paramount that we start to learn what are some of those things for all of us. And then particularly that group to have available to start to know um, how can we strengthen this circadian rhythm? That's really uh, the hinge and the framework that we bring in with sleep as a skill is this argument that uh, circadian health and the strength of your circadian rhythm is so crucial. And I think we're only just beginning to you know, be on the tip of the iceberg of how important this is. So that can be something that can serve those groups well. Now, I will say that part of the group that I work with a lot are high stakes poker players. Right. And they are actually quite akin to exactly what you're describing because what they'll, uh, depending on the poker player, say if they're tournament players, they might have uh, very late tournaments that they're a part of that millions on the line, you know, they want to be cognizant and alert uh, and they might have to go to 2, 3 a.m. And then the next set of tournaments and just even a week or two later might be much earlier. And so now they've got to shift and still have all their wits about them. Uh, so there are so many applications where we want to be able, uh, be, able, be able to understand what does it take to train ourselves to be as optimal as possible at those times allocated. Right. So, so is it, is it technology? Is it supplementation? Is it like, you know, I mean, I definitely, you know, definitely the idea of what light are are your eyes being exposed to gives the information to your brain of where you are spatially in time, right? Is it time to make melatonin? Is it time not to make melatonin? And so whether it's, you know, the, it never ceases to amaze me in hospitals. And, you know, if you look at nurses that work night shifts, I mean, these women too often, I mean, cause they, they can't take care of themselves. Right. So too often right. they're carrying around a lot of extra weight. They're, 
they're tired, they're, I mean, and they're functioning and they're doing heroic things. And at the same time, they're exposed to crazy junk light all night long. I mean, I think it's a miracle anybody gets out of the hospital alive, honestly. I like, know. Like even patients, right? So the systems are designed for the most part to at least make their jobs doable, but the patient goes right out the window. The patient's well-being in some ways, not that they're not doing everything to keep them alive, but you know, they're, yeah. oh, I need to take your blood pressure at three o'clock in the morning and somebody's fast asleep and there's things pinging and lights flying. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. Is it about, you know, I will tell, I've on occasion had conversations with people. I'm like, okay, well, wear those blue blockers as you're leaving the hospital so that by the time you get home, you're even in a position where your body is starting to think that maybe it's time to go to sleep, right? And changing yeah. the, you know, uh, adopting um, a meal schedule that mimics what you would be seeing during the day at night so that you're, you're kind of tricking your body into into thinking it's a different time of day, right? Yes, And, and then exactly. when you're waking up at night and you need to be awake, but you really want to be asleep, now getting a blue light exposure, whether, and I don't know if you have suggestions on this, like I sure. I, I saw a new one in London. It's like this really cool headband with like nose yes. on it. Looks a little goofy, not going to lie. Um, <laughs> I have it. Yes, I totally know. Is it the AO or yep, is it AO? Exactly. Yeah, so, I, so funny. I was just cleaning up. I was showing you just to change around my office and just cleaning those, put those in a new spot. Yeah, for travel, um, some of those can be really impactful, especially for shift workers. Uh, just ways on the go, to your point, if you're finding yourself in an environment that might not be pulling for uh, great sleep or great circadian health, then how can you kind of take matters into your own hands? So absolutely kind of having that toolkit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, so there's tools, there's the behaviors, and this is on the shift side. So, so I guess just to, to finish up on shift, because I, there's so many other topics we want to dive into that are maybe yeah. even less extreme. Well, they're just as extreme, except different. Yeah. Is that for the shift worker, there are things you can do to mitigate the, the physical impact. Part of it might be negotiating with your job, how long those cycles of shift work are. Part of it might have to do with technology. Part of it has to do with the timing of when you do certain things. And it's going to be really pulling in all of those tools, that all of those skills that I know that you teach yeah. in, your, in your programs where you're helping people to re-educate themselves on how to set themselves up for great sleep every night. So absolutely. Okay. So a hundred percent couple things. Um, and some of these things can absolutely apply to anyone, even outside of the more extreme cases. Um, so if we were to step back, we'd want to have this goal of how can we improve our sleep aptitude, even in, uh, those circumstances that might be really trying. Um, so a couple things, one, I am an advocate for getting, uh, data around what is happening with your sleep as a place to begin. In, but particularly in those cases where we've got a lot of uh, kind of variables. So I like to have people tracking. Now there are groups that maybe that wouldn't be as advantageous for, um, but if you are a candidate for tracking, then I would highly suggest um, pulling in some, whether you're using Oura Ring, Whoop Band, Biostrap, uh, Apple Watch, just you know, starting to get some numbers behind you on what is happening. What are we seeing? Are there patterns that might have some blind spots that we need? 
might not even be aware of, of how Mm -hmm. we're kind of um, operating or the results that we're getting with our sleep. So we can start to get more fine tuned on what is it that we're dealing with? Are we dealing with difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, early morning awakenings? If it's your morning, maybe if you're a shift worker, your particular time frame that you're struggling with. Um, Also, what can come out too is uh, one thing we absolutely don't want to see is not only if you are a shift worker, uh, now dealing with that problem, but also undiagnosed sleep disorders. And you want to rule out because there are over a hundred sleep disorders that could be lurking that might now be already further pinging at your results with your sleep, because no matter what shift you're working, um, if you have really severe sleep apnea, for example, which is just rampant when including mild, moderate, or even kind of the in-between, which is upper area resistance syndrome, um, you know, other things like bruxum. So, uh, teeth grinding, snoring. I mean, just the list goes on and on restless leg. Um, if you're dealing with kind of sleep fragmentation, lots of those different wake-ups, you know, there's so many things that if we do get those diagnosed and handled, then that can further augment the actual sleep that you are getting because that is paramount. Um, so we want to make sure that we first rule those out. Now, do know, at least in the United States, sorry for all these United States centric um, stats, but in the United States, there's less now the recent studies uh, or recent stats have come out that it's even less than around 7,000 sleep professionals are available for individuals in the U.S. Wow. for millions. Millions and millions of people. So really being aware that one, it's really statistically unlikely that most people are even getting to a sleep professional that's trained in this area. Uh, knowing that if you go to your general practitioner, to your primary doctor, uh, that what's unlikely is that they're going to be able to spot some of the red flags that might be demonstrating themselves that you're dealing with something around your sleep. Because again, U.S.-centric stat in the U.S., um, Harvard released that even at Harvard Medical School, one of our top schools, uh, that the average doctor is getting around two hours of training in sleep. This thing that you do a third of your life on average, 26 years of your life has been sleeping and so formative, so important. And yet, unfortunately, with those two hours, uh, it's unlikely that they're going to be able to help spot some of those signs. So you will need to kind of advocate for yourself. And um, really often, unless you know, you're know you lucky enough to be paired with maybe a, a doctor that's in this conversation or a functional medicine doctor, um, you might need to really fight to get to one of those sleep professionals and get on those wait lists. Um, if we want to screen two in advance, and if it's too long of a wait or what happens, have you there are a lot of um, at-home tests that can now be done that can be sent to you very quickly. Now, those are in the domain of more respiratory disorders often. So mm-hmm. they uh, tend to be pretty good at spotting if you do, if you're having um, breathing disorders of some type while you're sleeping at night, if you need something more nuanced, um, looking at uh, your brain waves, so looking at utilizing EEG and what have you, that would likely require more of an in-lab test. But the at-home test can be really, really useful and usually around uh, 200 bucks US dollars or so to be sent to you uh, just to test in your own comfort of your own home to first see, are you one of four? So statistically, what we find is that one in four people seem to have some sort of um, sleep apnea or breathing issues Mm -hmm. while they're sleeping. And there's speculation that that might be even on the low side, that there's more than that um, is kind of a hypothesis. 
And along with that, for women, that as we get over the age of 40 on average, we start to see that we get closer to men in our likelihood of now developing sleep apnea. Even if you didn't have it when you're younger, that with hormonal shifts and pregnancy and other things that have come along and changed um, some of our anatomy and our function, that we might now develop sleep apnea later in life, much more closely, closely akin to men as we age. Um, so first up, it's ruling out all of those things. And then my framework is to bring us through that circadian rhythm entrainment. And there's a hierarchy of things um, that really can impact the strength of your circadian rhythm. And so just right off the bat, I would say that um, the order of importance that we address it in is looking at light, dark timing first up, because we do know that that's one of the biggest zeitgeibers or time givers to impacting your circadian health. Uh, below that is temperature timing. And so that's one of the other big ones that we look at and can get nuanced as well. Um, and then I can, you know, there's additional ones that we can go through, but a really popular one that we find a lot of people struggle with is meal timing and mm -hmm. some interesting um, studies that have come out around that. And then there's more, of course, that we can uh, be aware of. But those top three, I would say, are great places to begin for most people. Hey, folks, just a very quick interruption here. I need to tell you about a new product that I have found. It's called Oral Tide, and I get it at Profound Health, profound-health.com. You know this website for bioregulator peptides, but what a lot of people don't realize is that they have other amazing products. And this Oral Tide mouthwash is one of those products. I've been using it for a month and I cannot get over how the sensitivity in my teeth has diminished. But the other things that the peptide in this mouthwash can do for you is it's been shown in studies to promote the growth of shrinking gums, speed healing of the mouth and tongue. It helps even to repair damaged enamel. So what are these peptides? There's AGDP, which is anti-gingival recession peptide, and DRPACP, which is dental bond peptide. So all you have to do if you're interested in this, and look, the mouth, huge piece of the puzzle when we're optimizing our health, go to profound-health.com and use discount code longevity15 to save 15% off your first order. Once again, that's Oral Tide Pro. All right, guys, let's get back to the episode. Going back to the sleep apnea thing, yeah. I think what's really interesting about that is sometimes even just asking your partner can give yeah. you insight into your sleep apnea. If you're the person who, and and I don't know how much you agree with this, but if someone has sleep apnea when they're lying on their back, which is when the tongue falls back, the tissues kind of collapse on themselves. And that's where you have the person who, after they've woken you up out of your sleep, because there's like been this horrible noise that's come out of them. But if yeah. you, before you punch them in the head <laughs> or elbow them in the ribs or whatever it is, loving partners, if, you were to, yep. if you would kind of sit back and watch and listen, what you might notice, and I think this can be very telling, is that you can see that the person, they literally stop breathing. Yeah, and that absolutely. noise, right? That noise is the nervous system kicking in going, holy crap, we're going to die. And they have to push through physically. And then that horrible noise comes out. So... I think that that actually is is a very non-technical way of figuring out, hey, by the way, I think you might have a problem. But if the person, when they lie on their side, they don't snore, does that mean that that's enough to solve the problem? Or is the, you know, I used to have someone in my life who on their side had developed, I, I called it, the way I referred to it is, oh, geez, how nice. You seem to, you seem to have developed the skill of snoring while lying on your side. 
Yeah. Which made me so pissed off. So totally. which of course is really <laughs> irrational, right? Like nobody's doing, nobody's snoring because they want to, they just are. Right. Yeah. But does that mean that it, it is more of a sleep apnea thing when you can snore on your side and it's just a body position thing. So if the person can just train themselves and I know people will do crazy things like, yes. So, um, so a tennis ball into the back tennis of the balls, yep, or whatever. backpacks, yeah, totally <laughs> wear a fanny pack with like, yeah. whatever. Um, it's a little buzzy thing that'll wake you up yeah. and make you turn exactly. over. But yeah. and that could be a tech idea anyway, but <laughs> So embedded in that crazy story is yeah. there are two questions. Number one, if the person only really has these these apneic, if if that's even a word, events lying yeah. on their back, does that mean they genuinely have sleep apnea, but it's solvable by lying on their sides? And if the person now can snore when they're on their side, does this mean that this is like a more advanced form? Because I know there's a different degrees yeah. of sleep apnea. Totally. Great questions. Uh, okay. A couple things. One, I would say this is also a time where getting more information and more data can be so, so helpful because when you do test, and I'm a stand that we're in a future where every person is being tested for sleep apnea, the same way we're all tested, we get our blood pressure tested multiple mm -hmm. times. You don't just test your blood pressure once in your life and then make all these treatment and decisions around that because similar apneas are very dynamic. And so there's so many things to your point, your sleep position is one of those factors. Also the types of foods you ate, including the, the quality and the timing of foods can flare up apneas or not. Uh, alcohol can flare that if you gain well, a little we bit all of know. weight, right? We all know alcohol drives snoring. Alcohol I think. <laughs> for sure, big time. Um, if you are also in kind of a suboptimal environment, if you travel a lot and you find yourself at high altitude, you might have a big flare up in apnea. So there's a lot of things that can impact the number of apneas that you might have, um, as well as anatomy. So for some people, it might be more nasal based. So, and something might happen, you break your nose, something, you know, where it wasn't a problem. Now it is a problem. Um, as we age to your point around the tongue falling back, then that's something that we can actually, there's various interventions around, um, therapies that you can do to strengthen the tongue. And there's also an FDA cleared device um, in the US, sorry, uh, which is Excite OSA. And that one is almost like a TENS unit for your tongue. Uh, and so that's strengthening of the tongue, believe it or not, FDA cleared for snoring even. Wow. So just snoring. So there are people that will say, well, I, I snore, but I tested, I don't have sleep apnea, but it's still going to be disruptive to your sleep. Uh, so another resource I would provide is uh, Snore Lab. It's a app that you you can just download and put, you know, by your bedside and we can get some real numbers too. Cause if the person that says, well, I don't have a partner, so I can't find out, you know, this information, I don't know if I'm snoring or not snoring. So you can get this information and you can come armed with that to your doctor or to order the at-home test. And then the other piece of this is that because there are so many elements and components, uh, what we will see on those tests will come out is how much you are having those apnea-like events at different sleep positions. So it will show, and to your mm. point, most people, we will see much more apnea events when you are on your back for many, but th there are the cases where uh, people will get still a decent number on their side or even on their stomach or however they find themselves sleeping. Um, so one, 
Yes, there are things that, because often treating apnea tends to be this multifaceted approach uh, because in the past we might've thought, well, you get a CPAP or you do nothing. And so it turns out now that CPAP is still an option, but there are so many other options now, including those behavioral interventions. But traditionally for most people, well, well, I shouldn't say most, but um, often it might involve both the sleep position changes and some other interventions. So um, oral uh, device. So yeah. with your uh, dentist, if, uh, getting a sleep-informed or airway-informed um, dentist can get you a fitted um, uh, oral appliance. And that can be really helpful to open up the airway space. You can get, uh, there's lasers that you can bring in to the treatment. You can have surgery. You can have things like Inspire, which is almost like a daytime pacemaker that's put in. And that can be helpful with... Um, if you're not responding to some of these other interventions, you can get things like airway stints, which are basically stints that are akin to stints in the heart. Uh, they are going in the nose and they're, um, can, they're quite marked. You, you look at it and you're like, how could this all fit in the nose? But it fits in the nose. Uh, there's also radio frequency um, techniques that you can bring in kind of like lunchtime, um, you know, procedures that you can bring in that will expand your nasal passage. Uh, if you're someone that's dealing with a tongue tie, that's another consideration. Uh, and so then the relief of that tongue tie can be helpful for some if that's impacting their sleep. Uh, so really getting curious about this area, because if you're someone that uh, deals with particularly wake-ups. We see a lot for mm -hmm. uh, sleep apnea and people are just so afraid. Why am I waking up? I feel like I have to go pee all the time. And they're thinking that it's about the going to the bathroom thing, but it really at its root for many people is this airway disturbance. So imagine how stressful that is for the body because apnea really just means a period of time where you can't breathe. And mm -hmm. so that's not a great feeling for the body. So it will wake you up and bring that stress response. And sometimes those are the wake-ups where now you're awake at 3.30 in the morning. Um, so if you're experiencing some of those, but then there's other lesser known symptoms and sometimes a little different for women. So sometimes, um, you might wake up and you have a morning headache. You have really just uh, pretty pronounced fatigue. You can fall asleep just about anywhere. I see for a lot of people, the people that tell me they're great sleepers, they fall asleep the minute their head hits the pillow. That is a huge red flag for me that they might actually have a undiagnosed sleep disorder because we should actually not fall asleep the minute our head hits the pillow most of the time because uh, that tends to demonstrate either sleep uh, deprivation of some sort or insufficient sleep quality, like one of those sleep disorders that haven't been diagnosed. Um, so what I would say is for that area of things, the respiratory piece, you probably have heard of um, mouth taping a lot of not yeah. you just of course you have, uh, but probably the listener has yeah, yeah. likely heard of mouth taping and um, so that is one that sometimes can be helpful, but there's a lot of concern in the sleep community that that might be masking, no pun intended, uh, other sleep disorders and sometimes making it worse, sadly, if you are putting not always, because there are times where that can help mitigate, but if you're not treating the sleep apnea and then just putting on the tape, uh, then that can be problematic and sometimes flare up different types of apneas. So we want to just be um, thoughtful in making sure that we're not missing something egregious. And then we're taking on the circadian um, entrainment approaches as well. Wow. Okay. Oh, boy, we don't even have that much time left. And I feel like we've only just scratched the surface. Um, so, I but, know, part but, one. but just to, but maybe to like pull back a little bit, yeah. I think what you're, I think one of the messages that's really important to, for people to hear is 
And and it's funny, it applies to everything, right? Because our tendency is to say, what supplement can I take? What can I do? Like, just fix it. I just need to fix it, right? And step one has to be identify the cause, identify what's the driver of your, whether it's feeling exhausted in the morning, falling asleep in the middle of the day, or falling asleep, as you say, the you know, people brag about, oh my God, I fall asleep the minute my head hits the pillow and you're sitting yeah. there delivering the bad news going, well, actually well, it could take you about 15 minutes to fall asleep. And they look at exactly. you horrified going, what are you talking about? This is a good thing. My head hits the pillow. I'm asleep. And you're like, exactly. Right. So here's the thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> my husband tells me I should have a segment. Molly ruins everything because yeah, exactly. half the time I'm delivering this bad news. Alcohol, you want to have that and great sleep? Uh, well, you know. Not going to happen. Yeah, Sorry. I, exactly. I know you think yeah. you're sleeping. However, you're actually <laughs> unconscious. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if exactly. only it worked that way. Anyway, but but I think that the, the, the real, and this is a message that we, because you know, people are, look, should I be taking melatonin? What about, um, what about magnesium? What about valerian? What about passion flower? What about hops? And I'm just talking about herbs right now and a couple of minerals, but even before you, what about a peptide? Is there a peptide I can take? Right. Totally. So yeah. Understanding as I mean, I guess the, what you're saying and you, it's really interesting. You brought this up that this should be, this should and could and may in the future become part of your normal workup at the doctor yes. is a sleep assessment. Just like you get labs done. What is, what is the quality of your sleep? Is there anything getting in the way that you don't know about? Because like anything else, once you understand and you have clarity around what the issue is with your sleep, now you understand which of the many interventions that are available to you are going to be the most impactful? Absolutely. A hundred percent. So one, I am pulling for a future where uh, this is part of those, you know, kind of annual checkups that it's much more of just to kind of, well, how's the sleep? We get nuanced about the specifics uh, as well as in the places where we're looking to get well, you mentioned hospitals. Uh, We're already starting to see certain kind of progressive hospitals start to bring in some more of emphasis on uh, sleep wake. And so having more of a circadian aligned cycle for the patients. And we have certainly studies that that seems to improve recovery time. Uh, so, you know, I think as <laughs> I think we'll start to hopefully see that the tides are changing and that many of us are starting to take this much more seriously, including our health professionals. Um, so then if we're sitting here saying now, okay, I want to improve my sleep. Um, I've ruled out some of these sleep disorders or I'm treating some of these sleep disorders. Now, how can I begin to strengthen and optimize my sleep? Well, I hope one, we're tracking ideally. And even if you're not using a, um, a tech piece of tech, like a tracker, even a sleep diary has its value because yes. we're starting to get some awareness on what time are we going to sleep? Uh, how often did we wake up that night? What came up for us? How long were we awake during those wake-ups? Uh, and then and what time do we actually get up out of bed? Because it's so surprising how many uh, blind spots emerge for people often. I talk to so many people where in the beginning on our onboarding, they say, well, yeah, I'm really consistent. I get up at the same time, blah, blah, blah. And then I look at their stats and, and they're not even being 
uh, my experience is people are just totally unaware of how much abnormality is present in their sleep, even just from that sleep consistency piece. So if you get nothing out of all that we've been talking about today, I hope that uh, one thing I can leave you with is that having playing the game of a consistent wake up time, especially so beginning with the wake up time, because we don't always have as much of a say over the bedtime, you know, to try to force sleep. Good luck. That's always it can often be problematic. So instead, we can begin with the wake up time where we have a say and that we're looking to have that be consistent around seven days a week, plus or minus 30 minutes is kind of our ideal optimal. Now, sometimes you had a really rough night or you there's a wedding or something happened. Um, so then you might swing it out a little bit more, maybe say around an hour or so, but we're looking to have that ideally be not too often. And then from that anchoring, so that anchors you at one particular place in that morning wake up period. And this might, even that, I would say sticking with that for multiple weeks, because that can get uncomfortable and it loses its novelty quick. Um, and often people then want to throw it out and they say, this isn't working for me. So if you stick with this for weeks and weeks, then over time, you begin to see the benefits. That's where now we can layer in many any of these circadian timers. Uh, so the big takeaway is we, you want to create bright days and dark nights. That's the whole game. Now that's can get nuanced and we want to get physically outside. We see in studies that it take anywhere from 50 to hundred times longer to reset our master clock from behind windows. If you're watching the video, like these windows behind me, even though there's a lot of light coming in, it's helpful for a circadian rhythm, but it's still insufficient to optimize and reset that master clock truly because um, one piece or practical thing I can give you too is to download an app called Light Meter or Lux. Either any of these will be able to get you a bit of a scientist. Um, so you can see what is the light output in your in your environment. And for most people, an indoor space ranges from about 300 lux to around max maybe like a thousand lux. We want to get this far, far higher than that. So on a summer day, um, you know, kind of in a southern in a southern latitude location, we can be hitting upwards of around 100,000 lux uh, in certain periods. And certainly we want to have goals of overpassing around 10,000 lux. You see a lot of those seasonal affective disorder lamps that the goal is to have them around 10,000 lux or more. Uh, so we're looking for really markedly bright light. And so that would be the first place to begin is how can you set up your days to get as much of that bright light uh, at the right times as possible. And then in the evening post sunset that you are shifting your environment uh, to really pull for darkness so that you can produce as much melatonin as possible. And the last piece about that I would say is that just recently a preprint just came out uh, that was pulling for 200, about 250 circadian scientists uh, asking for warning labels on light bulbs when used at night for its mm. impact on sleep, but also cancer, diabetes, and mental health. So this is becoming a bigger topic and we can get much more nuanced. Maybe we'll have to do a part two or something. I think we have um, to do a part two. But hopefully because there are because there, there are solutions, right? There are bulbs that don't emit blue light. There are ways exactly. of of hacking around this. And we, you know, Molly and I coming into this episode said, okay, we're not going to lean into all the fancy tech that we both love so much. We're really yes. we really want to give you guys information that you can wake up tomorrow morning and start imp implementing, right? Exactly. Now, I know that you're short on time here and probably have to jump off. So before you disappear on people, I'd love people to know where they can find you. We didn't even talk about your cohorts, which are like these living labs that Molly runs, which is like an eight to 10 week coaching course where 
you're part of a cohort of people, you're tracking your sleep, and every week you're learning about a new piece of the ways that you can improve your sleep from Molly herself, and then group coaching calls during the week, every week. So that is super awesome. That's just your, that's just kind of your teaser guy. So Molly, why don't you tell people where they can find you? Tell them about your amazing podcast and all the things. Oh, well, Nat is always a pleasure speaking with you. And I know we could talk for days and days and we'll <laughs> probably have to set up something a round table or something to get more information out there. Um, but yes, if you are struggling with your sleep and whether you're just kind of sleep curious or you want to go in deep, uh, our intention, my, really my mission on the planet is to help support people getting back in the driver's seat with their sleep. You know, when I was struggling with my sleep, I felt so disempowered. I felt like mystified. Uh, and I felt very alone. And so I really, my intention is that there's a place for you to go, uh, no matter if you just want to kind of learn a little bit more. And if that's the case, then you go to sleepisaskill.com. We can, uh, there, you can take a sleep assessment and just put in kind of what you're dealing with with your sleep, get auto-triggered back, um, some direct resources right away that can help you, including our optimized bedroom, um, downloadable PDF. So then you can kind of walk through and high-tech, low-tech things uh, you can do. And beyond that, we have a weekly newsletter. It's been going out. It's been five years strong every Monday, uh, sleep obsessions it's called. And so you can get lots of tips and tricks and latest studies and things uh, to support you in your journey. And then if you're looking to, uh, and if you want to learn more, we have a sleep podcast that Nat is actually going to be a part of. I'm very excited for that. Talk about peptides for sleep. It's going to be amazing. Um, so we have lots of different experts in different domains to support your sleep. We just got word that now we are the number one sleep podcast. I've been saying number two for ages and apparently I got, ah, that's, I just got the update from, um, another uh, ranking source that apparently we're number one. So anyway, we got lots of, um, you know, <laughs> tips and tricks there and for free to help support your sleep. Now, if you want to go in deeper, we have cohorts and uh, there we require an aura ring so that we can actually have some data and show wherever you're at with your sleep. And then you go through a process. So in our cohorts, we have a bunch of weeks that we're all together. Uh, and then on the other side of that, you leave with measurably improved sleep on the other side. So, um, Beyond that, too, if you're really struggling, you want really some kind of private support. We, of course, have one-on-ones as well. But wherever you're at, that there's an option for you. Amazing. I love it. So Sleep is a Skill is the podcast. Exactly. Um, Sleepisaskill.com is the website. And on Instagram, Sleep is a Skill. Yes. Sleep is a skill everywhere. Exactly. It. Yes. Sleep oh. is a skill and it is your birthright. So if you're going to hack just one thing, Hack your sleep because everything else can pretty much fall out of that. So thank you. Exactly. Thank you so much, Molly, for your time today and for all this amazing information. And I so look forward to our next chat. Oh, me too. You're amazing. Thank you for the work you do, Nat. It just makes such a difference. Um, and I've actually worked with different clients that have come my way through your trainings and, and sharing about how important sleep is. So thank you just for being a, uh, a spokesperson for this area of life that I think <laughs> it gets so forgotten. So I really appreciate you and more to come. And thank you for all that. you. <laughs> thank you so much, Molly. Awesome. Thank you. Before we wrap up today's episode, I'd love to invite you to sign up for my newsletter. 
Each week, I share my biggest key takeaways from that week's podcast episode, giving you insight into how to take action on what you learned in the interview. Plus, I share the biohacks I'm loving that week and why, as well as facts and tips about peptides for longevity. To join the newsletter, head over to natalienidham.com forward slash newsletter to get access now or find the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for your continued support and for tuning in to today's episode. I wish you all the best this week in biohacking your superhuman performance. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.